It is good to have you here and to know that all of you manage to change your clocks or have your clock changed automatically. Uh, did anyone else who leaves their cell phone all, all night long at just before 2 a.m. this morning get an amber alert that drove you straight out of bed? Uh, I was like, the time changed! Oh my goodness! You know, um, and, and just, you know, but hey, you know, at least I was awake. That works. Today we are in the, uh, the next to the last week of a series that we've called Essentials. If you've not joined us in the last few weeks, um, what we're doing is we're, we're going through a, a letter that was written by the church in Jerusalem in the first century to a church in Antioch. Uh, that had asked questions about what it meant to follow Jesus Christ, even though, even though they weren't Hebrew or Jewish in heritage. And, and some of, sometimes when you, you read something like that, that from the first century, you're like, oh, what in the world does that have to do with where I live in the 21st century? But what we've been discovering is that it has everything to do with the 21st century and how we're living, and, and actually even in the middle of a pandemic that we hope we're not in the middle of anymore. It kind of feels like we're, we're coming to the end of this thing, and so we want to be safe and run the race all the way through the finish line so that uh, we can all gather back here uh, in, in this room and other rooms around this country um, with safety and security of knowledge that we're not giving anyone else uh, something we don't want to give them. Uh, in terms of the virus. So today, as we come to this next part of the letter, I need to let you know that we were planning to do this part of the letter, the things that the church in Jerusalem told the church in Antioch, before we planned to have the blood mobile here today for, for the, the blood drive. Now, in a moment, you're going to understand why I needed to clarify that for you. Because as they write this letter, it well, let, just let me, let me read it for you, okay? Uh, this is from James, the brother of Jesus, and the leaders in Jerusalem to the church in Antioch. Listen to what he says in Acts chapter 15, verse 28. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that that you make God first, in the beginning God, and from blood, excuse me, and from what has been strangled, which we talked about last week with the breath of God in every one of us, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Now, I, this, this thing about blood what in the world is James talking about? And why in the world is he talking about it? And I want to say to you that, that as we launch into this today, and as we launch into the topic next week of sexual immorality, I want to, I want to make one thing perfectly clear, because what we're going to get into today, this, this statement about that you abstain from blood, it really is a powerful statement, and it has great implications. And, and as we get into it, I want to make certain that you understand that when we start talking about this and we start talking about sexual immorality, I want you to hear what I want to say to you very, very clearly because I, I really feel impressed by, by the Holy Spirit to let you know this, okay? 
today, next week, here on campus or online or as you're listening to us, you need to know this is a no-shame zone. What I'm about to share with you, Satan could very easily use in our world to shame us. It could very easily use in our context to, to cause us what psychologists would call inappropriate guilt. I mean, there is appropriate guilt. When you're guilty of something, it, it's appropriate to feel guilty. But, but when you're not guilty and you start feeling guilty, then, then that's, that's inappropriate guilt. And shame is something that, that Jesus Christ came and died on a cross so that He could take all of our sin and all of our guilt and all of our shame for us. So when I start talking about the things I'm going to talk about today and next Sunday, I want you to hear that, that these are things that are essential for followers of Jesus Christ to not just know, but to do. And, and if you have failed, I really want you to hear me on this. If you have failed in these areas, then I want you to hear this is not shared in an attempt to guilt you. This is not shared in an attempt to shame you. What it's shared in is an attempt to help all of us understand what it means to really live with love and what it really means to live with grace and what it really means to, to live with with. God as the first priority in our life, what, what it really means to let the Spirit of God breathe in us. And so it isn't just like don't drink blood, <laughs> don't eat meat with blood in it. Those were the dietary issues that, that the Gentiles were facing with the Judaizers is what the theologians call those Hebrew Pharisees who came and said, no, you've got to be a Jew before you can become a Christian. Uh, that's not all that's there. Because you see, the, the, the implication of what it means to abstain from blood is dependent upon understanding what the Hebrew heritage taught about blood and why blood was to be something that you didn't drink or something that you didn't eat when it was in the meat, that the meat had to be drained completely. And, and so today I, I want to take us back through why why in the world James and the church in Jerusalem would say to Gentiles, hey, listen, following Jesus Christ means that you need to abstain from this. So in order to get a full understanding of it, we have to understand the role of blood in the Hebrew mindset. And we have to, we have to go all the way back into the book of Genesis, and we have to pick up what God was saying to Noah after the flood. You remember the story of Noah and the flood? If you don't know, go out in our, in our, our connecting place out here. We've got a big ark for the children, and, and it's a reminder of the story of Noah and the ark. And if you remember, the reason there was an ark is because the world had become so sinful and so despicable in God's eyes that, it, that God just said, you know what, I, I created this, this world, but I I can't let it continue the way it is. And so, and so he redeemed for the world. He redeemed one, one family, the family of Noah, that, that was the one family left in the world that still recognized who Yahweh, who God was. And he redeemed them and saved them and, and through them began to fulfill his own desire for creation. And so I, I, want, you to, I want you to understand that, that basically we talked last week that when God created us, he breathed life into us. In Genesis chapter 2, he breathed his own image into humanity. But in Genesis chapter 9, 
when he's talking to Noah, he lets him know that, that physical life that's given by God, the fact that we are created by God, that, that our blood sustains life. The breath of God gives life, but it's blood that sustains life, which is why, uh, ironically, uh, not intentionally, uh, we're, we're having a blood drive here today because we know, health officials know that, that giving blood and having that available is what, is what keeps the, the body functioning. And, and so in the Scriptures, the, the image of blood is something that is used to help us understand how our life is sustained. And so when, when God is talking to Noah, He, he initiates something that, that is a covenant with Noah. And, and in Genesis chapter 9, uh, I'm going to start reading at verse 3. I want you to pick this up. This understanding that physical life is given by God and our blood physically sustains us. Listen to what he said. This is God talking to Noah. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants to eat, I now give you everything. For you shall not eat flesh while it's alive, that is, it's blood. For your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Now, here's... Here's what God's trying to say to Noah if you read the entire context. Up until this point, he, he is, he's basically saying that, you know, I've given you the plants to eat. I've given you all of these things. But now, now I want you to know that, that I'm, I'm giving you everything that moves, but you can't drink or eat its blood. And when you do that, it's because the blood is the thing that sustains your life. It's, it's the thing that sustains that that animal's life. And when you, if you were to take and to take the life of a human being, then, then you, you would in essence be, be saying, I am taking the life away from someone else. And so this statement that James and the church make about Okay, abstain from blood. Yes, it had to do with the dietary requirements. Don't drink blood that's been sacrificed to idols. Don't drink the blood of an animal in some cultic fashion. Don't, don't drink the blood out of an animal that you've sacrificed. Don't, don't do that because that is a symbol of the, the life that is sustained by God. The, the, the breath of God that's in someone is in the spirit of God. But the blood sustains us. And so don't, don't, don't drink the blood. Don't eat the the meat with the blood still in it, but, but it's bigger than that. It, it, it's something about the way a follower of Jesus is supposed to view other people. Now, here's the part where I want you to understand there's no shame involved, not, no shame intended at all. But folks, this is so essential for us in this culture because we're living in a culture where human life is literally being dehumanized. People are becoming objects. 
objects for our, our satisfaction. That's why human trafficking is so prevalent in our world today is because no longer is that person a person created in the image of God. They are someone that someone else has decided to use as an object for their own gratification sexually. That's why we have, we have some real issues we have to debate and think about ethically with regard to some of the robotics and the artificial intelligence and the things that are happening that in many ways are wonderful. But in other ways, if they take away the life of a human being, not in terms of if they murder them, but if they begin to see a person as an object rather than a person, you see that person sitting next to you, that person sitting next to you here in the auditorium or with you wherever you're watching online, is not something or that was created for you. They're not a thing. They're a person. And when we are living in a world where we've created so many virtual realities that we begin to see others as objects for our satisfaction, others as objects for our manipulation, others as objects to use for our advancement, then we've suddenly begun to drink the blood, the lifeblood, right out of someone else. See, that, that's, that's why it's so important to understand the whole picture through the Old Testament of what lifeblood is, because it's lifeblood that, that sustains the, the Spirit of God at work in someone. And when we begin looking ethically at the things that are happening because of the advancement of our intelligence, the advancement of our technology, and the prolivance of, of, of I'm just going to say it, every teenager here is not going to like what I'm about to say, but every video game out there, when you shoot somebody in a video game, you can start over. When you shoot somebody in real life, they're dead. Why do you think we have so much teenage suicide going on right now? Because we have people who have begun to treat themselves as merely an object. They don't understand their value. You see, it's essential for a follower of Jesus Christ to value life. To know life comes from God. God breathed His image into us. He created us in such a way that our physical body is sustained by our blood. Without that blood, we don't live. And for us as followers of Jesus in the 21st century, we've got to, we've got to begin to value other people as people We've got to begin to value each other as the life of God. Not in some kind of way where all the lives are connected and the butterflies that hit here impact over there. Now, that's not the kind of life I'm talking about. I'm talking about the value of the person, the personhood of an individual, the creative nature of God at work, breathe into the person. I mean, look at the person next to you. God made them just like they are. Tall, short. Wide, thin. With hair, without hair. God made that person. And for many of us, we've been so beaten down, we've been so treated as objects that we don't even understand that we are valuable to God. That's why Jesus one day when he was talking to his disciples in Matthew's gospel, he, he says something that, that for my entire life has, 
held great meaning to me. My, my, my father and mother would, would quote this verse to me when I was a kid to help me understand that I believed, that they believed I was valuable to God, that they believed that every person was valuable to God. It's in Matthew chapter 10, in the middle of a, of a whole conversation Jesus is having, he, he suddenly uses this illustration. I share it with you today, hoping you will see just how valuable you are to God. Listen from Matthew chapter 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father in heaven. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. As I was preparing this message this week, I, I, I heard a noise on my front porch and I walked out. We have a beautiful glass door, uh, storm door at our front door. And oftentimes we leave that, the, the regular door open so the sunlight will come in because it is Indiana and we do value the sunlight as much as we can get it. And, and so it's coming in and, and I'm upstairs and I hear this thump and I come down and, and there's this, there's this bluebird, the prettiest little bluebird I've ever seen. And unfortunately, it didn't see the window. And it ran into the window and it died. And I stood there looking at it, thinking about the fact that today I wanted to share with you that, that, that when James and the church said, hey, abstain from blood, they're talking about more than just eating. They're talking about the very lifeblood of a person and, and that people are more valuable even than the sparrows. And yet, on that day, when that little bird died, the creator of the universe, who is my heavenly father, knew that that bird died. Can you imagine a, 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 a personhood, a, a personality that is so vast and so amazing as the creator of everything and every universe to be able to take notice of something as little as a bird? That's how valuable God thinks his creation is. And that's what Jesus is telling people. And that's why James, his brother, and the rest of them are saying to the Gentiles, listen to me, the lifeblood of a person, that is value. And you are valuable. Please hear me, friend. If you've been struggling... If you, are, if you are in a place where you're beginning to harm yourself, if you're cutting, if you're hurting yourself, please know this. You are valuable. You were made in the image of God, and God made you so that your blood sustains you. And by the way, his one and only son came and shed his lifeblood so you could be forgiven. That's why it's a no-shame zone. I understand why this is important. I'll be very candid with you. There are huge issues in our society, issues like abortion, issues like euthanasia, issues like infanticide, huge things happening around the world that are out of the very pit of hell. But I want you to know, if you had to stand and make the decision of whether or not to unplug a machine that's keeping a loved one of yours alive, if you're one of the 20% of people in every Protestant church in the United States who has either had an abortion, or if you're a man, you have been party to an abortion, then I want you to know, I, I'm not missing the statistics. 
I, I understand. I was sitting with my oldest son this week. We went over to his house to celebrate his birthday, and I was just talking in the conversation about the fact that I'd seen some statistics that in the last year, 500,000 people had died, and that that was more people than had died in all the wars of the United States. My, my son, I've told you about, that's the historian. Both of my sons, they will correct me pretty quickly. And he said, Dad, no, you're wrong. I said, I am. He goes, yeah, it's more than all of the wars in the 20th century. But dad, in the civil war in this country, over 600,000 people died. That's why it changed the nature of this country so much. Friends, you and I are living through something that is so, so dynamic, so radical, that literally in the last year, Almost as many people as a civil war in this country have died from one virus. And what I want you to know is that every one of those people mattered to God. And if you've got a loved one, if you've got a friend, if you've got a family member that, that, that's lost their life due to this virus, due to this, this disease, I want you to hear the voice of God in my voice telling you that person was valuable to God and you are valuable to God, just as valuable as two little sparrows that human beings would sell for, for two pennies. Come on. That person sitting next to you is an image bearer of God. That person working down, down the hall from you, that, that person in the cubicle next to you, that person who lives across the street from you. Life. Life is what is given by God. He created us. He gives us life, and he sustains us in our physical body by blood. And the symbolism of what James and the elders of the church were saying to the Gentiles and to us is this. You are so valuable to God. We don't even want to drink the blood of an animal. We don't want to eat the meat of an animal that still has the blood in it. Because you see, it's essential. It's essential for a follower of Jesus to respect and steward life. And I think that's the role of the church these days. I've been praying so hard that I would say this properly for you today to be able to help you understand that one of the things that the church can do as a value add to society, as perhaps the greatest value add to society, is for us to let everybody we see understand they are made in the image of God and they are valuable to God and that makes them valuable to us. That's why you are so important to God. Because you, you are his creation. You are his child. If, if you're doubting that today, please hear me. Let me be one voice against all the other voices in your head telling you, please don't harm yourself. Because God made you. And there is no one else like you. There is no one exactly like you. No one else who's had your gene pool. No one else who's had your experience. No one else who's had your talents. No one else who has your dreams. No one else who has your visions of what God could do in you. And I know it's hard in this world. And I know pain is deep. And I know people are hurting. And the church, that's why we talk about lifting up Jesus Christ 
so that people can discover hope for their living. And that's why that your early church said, you know what, it's essential that we understand the value of life and that we, we respect life and we steward life. In that room that day when they're writing this letter to the people in Antioch was a man named John. Not John the Baptist, no, no. This was John, one of the sons of thunder. This was John, the beloved disciple. This is John who wrote the gospel of John and told us all the amazing things that Jesus did. And John, it was the same John who a few years earlier had his brother James killed, martyred because of his faith in Jesus Christ. So John knew pain, and John knew hurt, and John knew the pain that, that we walk through when we lose people. You know what? It was the same John who would later write words to the church. It was the same John who would live his life and die an old man on an island in Patmos in exile. But he would write these words in a letter, look. For this is the message that you've heard from the very beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's deeds were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates their brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding inside of him. What John was saying to the church in the first century, what he's saying to us in the 21st century, is the same thing James and the others had written to the Gentiles in Antioch, and the same thing Jesus said to the people gathered around him when he's talking about how valuable life is. It's essential if we're going to really be people of love, if we're really going to be people of grace, if we're really going to be people who understand that everything begins with God, that the breath of God can't be quenched and strangled out of our lives, if we're going to value life, then we've got to do more than march. We've got to be more than have protests. We've got to do more than simply have political statements. We've got to learn to steward life, to respect it, even when the person is doing something we don't even like, something that violates every value we have, even when they're, they're being unlovable, we've got to love them. We've got to reach out to them. I don't, we don't have to agree with them. We don't have to treat them like our best friend, but we have to make sure that we don't treat them like an object. You are not an object. You are a person. You have the breath of God in you, the image of God in you. And whether you're living into that image or whether you're running away from it, whether the, the, the actions of your life reflect the goodness and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ or whether it reflects everything out of the very pit of hell, you are loved by God. Years ago, years ago now, I, I was preaching in the church I was pastoring. There was a new family there. They'd been transferred there by, their, by the husband's job. He and his wife had 
four children. I was so excited. It wasn't a very big church. You get a family with four children, your children's ministry grows. It's like, yes! <laughs> and they'd been there a few weeks when Mother's Day came up. And on Mother's Day, it's always emotional for lots of people, right? And I noticed as we were in that service that, that, that this guy had, had hold of the seat in front of him with, with clenched hands. He was hard to miss. He was a, he was a rather tall fellow, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, broad shoulder. I'm guessing 250, 260 pounds, and, and just, just a big guy. And, and, and as the service progressed, I watched him, and as I, as I spoke about the love of God that day, and, and, and as we dedicated some children, some babies that day with their families, I could just see something happening inside of him. His name was Ed. And, and at the end of the service, as, as we sang a song, I, 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 I saw Ed just gripping that, that, that seat in front of him with just like a death grip. I mean, his knuckles were white. It was a small enough sanctuary I, I could see from the platform. This guy, this guy's under duress. I didn't know what was going on. And as we sang that song, suddenly there was a moment where he just let go. And he stepped out and he walked down and he knelt at an, at an altar and I, I eased down next to him and said, Hey, Ed, how can I pray for you today? And with tears flowing down that massive face of his, with clenched teeth, he said, God can never forgive me. I said, Yes, he can. He said, No, no, you don't understand, Pastor. I said, Have, have you read about the, the people in Vietnam in the United States military? who were behind enemy lines, who, who came upon villages and they killed all the people in the village, including the children. And they made sure they were dead by bayoneting the children. I said, well, yeah, I've, I've read something about that somewhere. Yeah. He goes, well, I didn't read it. I was one of the men with a bayonet. And I killed women and children and there is no way God can ever forgive me because I took his life out of another human being. I said, Ed, Ed, that's not true. You see, the only thing that God can't forgive, Ed, is when you refuse to acknowledge that He is the source of life and that He is the one who can forgive you, even you. Yes, what you did was horrible. Yes, it was terrible. Just like what happened to Cain and Abel. It was horrible. Murder has always been horrible. But you know what? The Apostle Paul was a murderer, Ed. And when he met Jesus, he found forgiveness. Because you see, friends, it's essential for a follower of Jesus Christ not just to value life, not just to respect life, and, and not just to steward life, but to, but to also share life. To share life with those other human beings. That's why John would keep writing, by this, we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. 
And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. For if anyone, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees their brother or sister in need, yet closes their heart against them, how does God's love abide in them? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. My friends, wherever you're worshiping with us today, on campus, online, or later this week on demand, my prayer for you is that you will understand that, that life is precious and that people are life and that God is asking you to share the grace and the love that He has given you with everyone around you and that you, my friend, would give Him your life, that you would give back to Him what He has given you. And so I ask you, right now, wherever you are, to decide today, today, God, I'm going to view life as essential. I'm going to value the life you've given me. I'm going to value the lives you've given the people around me. I'm going to value and steward and respect life, and I'm going to share it. Would you pray with me? Abba, Papa, thank you. Thank you that the church in Jerusalem saw fit to remind the Gentiles that there's a reason that God told them to abstain from eating the meat with the blood in it. There's a reason that, that God, you told them to abstain from drinking the blood of the animals, that, that, that you are the one who gives us life blood, and you sustain us, and that we are valuable and all of your creation is valuable in your sight. And God, forgive us for the times as a, as a people that we've forgotten that. God, speak to us today. Draw us to yourself. And let us be people who give life to others. Because you have given life to us. For it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray.